0: Hello and welcome to Assigned Scientist at Bachelors. I'm Charles and I'm an entomologist. And I'm Tessa and I'm an astrobiologist. And today is the second Halloween episode that we're recording for 2021. And <laughs> what we will be discussing is Repo exclamation mark, the genetic opera. Tessa, do you have a history with this property? Not Specifically,
1: although I do remember when it came out because I had acquaintances who formerly had been very big fans of either Buffy the Vampire Slayer and or Firefly. And apparently those types of people were also type of people who are also really into this movie. I was alerted of the fact that it existed when it came out, and like a very basic rundown of the premise, but that's about the extent of my exposure to it.
0: I will say, I think I was the perfect age for this when it came out because it came out in two thousand eight when I was fifteen, and this is like peak fifteen year old bait.
1: It very much is, and for context, I was twenty one when it came out, so that may have been why it just you know you're didn't... just
0: a little a little bit too old for it. Yeah, I think. yeah. I wasn't actually that into it, but I was a fifteen year old on the internet. In two thousand eight, so I was very familiar with people being into it. Cause I never, I don't know about you. I'm guessing that you didn't. I never had like an emo phase.
1: I didn't. No, the closest I got was my freshman year of high school, where I wore a lot of black. But that's just because I thought it made me edgy and mysterious. It it didn't,
0: but I also did that, and I it also didn't make me edgy or mysterious. But that's life. I you know, I never had an emo phase, I was never goth, I was never seen, I was just a huge dork. Yeah, pretty much same here. Since the moment I was born, they came out and the doctor was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it's a dork. Yeah. And then my parents looked at each other and they were like, Well, we're dorks, so that's fine. Um, but I wanna make a joke here about genetic destiny and repo the genetic <laughs> opera. <laughs> But I can't really get there, and I think that reflects about the amount of thought that also went into the script. Heyo. There are a number of things that I would like to talk about. The first thing I would like to say is that this movie is very bad. Okay, so Rebo, the Genetic Opera, according to Wikipedia, is a 2008 American science fiction gothic rock opera horror film, which is quite a description. So it's in... The relatively near future, I think it's still in the 21st century, but later on. At one point, the the chain of consequence that is introduced in an extremely clunky exposition cartoon montage please, is that there was an epidemic of organ failures. Who knows why? Yeah,
1: it's never explained. That was actually one of the, the big questions I had is what's going on here? Is this like the phage from Star Trek Voyager?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so an epidemic of organ failures, and then Gene co is introduced, which produces, I think artificial organs, or maybe like organic organs. you know
1: it's never actually said where you know where the organs come from.
0: right, so then they get organs, and they also to increase profit because capitalism is a play on the earth, influence like a cultural trend towards very trivial surgery uh not just cosmetic but like brighten up your liver that kind of a thing and then they pass a bill that allows for organ repossession uh, which amounts to not surgery in a clinical setting but uh repo men hunting people down in the most dramatic way possible and slicing their abdomens open and just pulling them right out there without, again, no sterilization. No sterilization, no ligation
1: either, you know. As someone who is married to a former veterinarian and has heard, you know, stories from the trench of being surgery, they make it look very simple. It's almost like plug and play, which is not really how organs work.
0: And you can just hear her laughing in the background. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so our protagonist, Shiloh has a blood disorder maybe and so she's kept inside all the time at the same time the guy who runs gene co has three horrible children and a terminal illness that is apparently killing him by the end of the day also there is an opera scheduled for the end of the day where a performer called blind mag ironically in the same way that large guys are sometimes called tiny because she has very special eyes and also she's an opera singer And so she's going to sing. She's giving up her eyes. They're going to get repossessed. So she will also be dead by the end of the day. Twist, Shiloh's dad, who says that he's a doctor, is actually one of the repo men. And there's this whole convoluted web of loyalties and ownership where basically Blind Mag has to work for Gene Co. and Shiloh's dad also has to work for Gene Co. And the guy who runs Co is trying to get Shiloh on board because he used to be hot for her mom. And also there's a character called the Grave Robber who truly could be cut out of the film and it wouldn't make any difference.
1: He's basically the Greek chorus. Not even a really necessary
0: Greek chorus at that. Completely unnecessary. Except for 16-year-olds to be really horny about.
1: I, I can see that, actually. Yeah.
0: I Actually, while I was watching this, I was thinking of a trend on tiktok right now um because i am on tiktok to understand the kids and there's a trend it's a it's an audio where there's like you expect me to like this bland twink when there's a perfectly good delf available and people will put this over audio i saw one with dune where it's um paul and then alternate both duncan and whoever oscar isaac plays so jason momoa and oscar isaac and i also saw it with legolas and um thranduil which is like they're about the same age like no offense to thranduil he is literally a delf but he's not like meaningfully a delf there's no gray in that hair right 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 anyway i kept thinking about this while watching this but swap out grave robber for bland twink and anthony stewart head obviously for delf right I mean, I know that you're a lesbian, but... No, no, I can, I can totally I can totally see that. I can totally understand that. Okay, good. Um, I just need that validation from everyone all the time. Okay, so the three things that I liked in the first song that Shiloh's dad has by himself when he's cutting up that guy to repossess his intestines, apparently, he sticks his gloved hand up inside the guy's torso and moves his mouth like a puppet.
1: He's got to do it got to do it like
0: a mop. I enjoyed that that felt very camp to me that felt like a real like a transcendent moment of camp in an otherwise just like unremarkably bad movie the second one at the opera there was an old lady dj just there and I enjoyed that and then thirdly I enjoyed Amber's dress as a throwback to like 18th century french court fashion wonderful you give me a wide panier. I'm having a great time <laughs> unfortunately then her face immediately fell off and I was like I'm not so into this part but the dress the dress was pretty amazing the dress was pretty good so I think those are the three things that I enjoyed the rest of it I had um, less appreciation for so I'm actually very interested just to go through your list of questions okay so
1: first off why are we having this epidemic of organ failures that leads to the rise of this, of this system? And I, I never really addressed that. Uh, I will also say, I spent a good portion of this film trying to figure out what aesthetic they were going for. I mean, I guess it's goth. And, but like it's at the same time, it's like, is this steampunk? Is this biopunk? Is this camp? Is this post-apocalyptic? What's going on here?
0: I think that the real answer is um, there was not a lot of cohesive vision yeah yeah in the production of this movie here's another thing all of these characters had like seven costume changes this takes place during one day (laughs) like every time we see amber she's wearing a different outfit which i guess you could argue fits with that character but like multiple times luigi just changes his shirt randomly. He doesn't get any one time he gets a brain on it. So fair enough, but then another time he doesn't get anything on it. He just changes his shirt. And I think it's so that the we can know that he has also had like because Amber is said to be addicted to the knife, addicted to the knife. Amber Sweet is addicted to the knife. Addicted to the knife. Addicted to the knife. And, addicted- and then Pavi obviously has a weird face situation going on, and so you could be, you could think, well, Luigi hasn't had anything weird done, but then he has all of the crisscrossing scars across right, his torso. Right,
1: right. I'm pretty sure that is to show off his scars.
0: Yeah, we only need to see that one time, and I kind of wonder if maybe they just forgot. Okay, so we don't know where the organ epidemic came from. Yeah, but I think we've established. I don't think they know where the organ epidemic came from.
1: uh That's a fair interpretation. But yeah, other than that, the other notes I had was, aside from the thing about not ligating
0: organs for some reason. Well, here's maybe an opportunity for genuine education, since ostensibly this is a science podcast. What's happening with ligation? Okay, so
1: ligation is, and uh, my wife has my full permission to uh, interrupt me if I screw this up, but I, I think I understand it, is basically organs need blood supply in order to function. As a result, they have a lot of blood vessels that tie into them. Both small ones and also like large arteries and veins. And in order to remove an organ, you know, say if you're spaying a cat or whatever, you need to tie off those vessels and those, uh, you know, circulatory connections. And now, admittedly, this is partially so the animal or patient or whoever doesn't bleed out. And if you're a repo man and you're going to be killing the person anyways, clearly you don't care if they die or not. But even then, that's still a lot of connective tissue that's you know, hooked up to that organ. You just can't yank it out, at least not without seriously damaging it, which would defeat the whole purpose.
0: I will say I was thinking about this and I was thinking you could make a counter argument that this is purposefully- Thank you, love. <laughs> Bunch of married people having positive relationships with each other. Unbelievable.
1: But yeah, so that that was like, you know, here. that is your scientific content for our science outreach podcast for today.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will say, I think you could make the argument- That it doesn't actually matter that you're just reaching in with unsterilized gloves and you're not doing ligation and you're not doing anything. And they're also, they don't have any like storage coolers. I I mean, I think you could make the argument within the reality of the world that we're looking at that they aren't actually functionally repossessing anything. They just want to have a reign of terror.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't seem like a very practical system. No. Uh, Because, you know. It's not like you hear about, you know, the secondhand organ market, which presumably would be the point of the repossession. I mean, that's what they do with repossessed things in real life.
0: Well, here's a here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. I was watching this and I was like, this is a bad movie because all the songs are bad and the story is also bad and the characters are bad and the production design is bad and the color grading
1: Oh, man, I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, just atrocious.
0: Bad. Um, And the costume design, other than a couple of examples, I thought was bad. Especially, this is, okay, Amber has these two, like, flanking bodyguards all the time. And I don't think they're really bodyguards. I think they're just there for, like, ornamentation. And they're wearing harnesses. But their harnesses are like the AliExpress, like $5 polyester strap harness. You can't spend like $50 on a a good quality harness. Are you kidding me? Because the only groups that I can think this movie was actually made for are like emo and scene, 15-year-old girls and much love and like gay people with low standards, right? Yeah, because I mean, it's camp, but it's not very good at being camp. no. You know,
1: even with having Paris Hilton, who actually does a shockingly good job.
0: I would say this is the the second best performance of her career. And the first best is that music video that she did uh, with Kim Petras. I just can't. You can't throw a bone to the homosexuals in the audience and just buy a nice harness for two dudes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Especially since your audience is going to be like the few people are going to actually recognize what a good harness looks like.
0: Right? Like the overlap between people into BDSM and people into this movie, it probably exists. Absolutely no doubt about that, yeah. There are members of every community who have low standards. I I will say, I would not judge anybody for liking this movie because I can see the points where it would appeal to people, but also, it's just, objectively, whether you like it or not, it's a bad movie.
1: And I mean, I will say that, actually, thinking about it now, there were a few... Things about it, I did like particularly like. I thought the comic book like format was a good way of telling backstory, um, although it it did get a little old by the end of it. I did like that Largo's bodyguards wear fishnet for no explicable reason, um, mostly because you know I'm a showgirl and I'm all about the fishnets. And in a weird way, I kind of liked how non-subtle this movie is because it is fundamentally an opera, and operas also historically did not tend to be subtle i mean it was like oh you know the person singing this part is a bass they are the bad guy
0: so this is the question that, <laughs> that i was leading to which is that everything about this movie enjoyable or not is not good but is there a version of this that could be good like could you take the building blocks of the script and make something that is genuinely of quality
1: I think there are elements there because, I mean, there's something to be said about the relentless march of capitalism and how, yeah, you know, if somehow body modification and organ transplant became normalized, I could totally see them selling that to people. But, like, that's already been done much, much better by any number of other works. The drama between You know, the repo man, his daughter, and the head of the evil company has some potential as well, as well as the rivalry between the siblings, you know, the children of the evil corporation dude. But it was so packed into such a short amount of time and so borderline incoherent, it never really got to where it could have been. I will admit, Zydrate Anatomy was actually a pretty snappy song, in my opinion.
0: I would argue that's maybe the only good...
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the rest, on. though, I, I just kind of tuned out, honestly.
0: Yeah, I think, well, here's what's interesting to me. And this is, I messaged you earlier and I said, are you familiar with you in Town? And you said, yeah, a little. And I said, great, we're going to talk about that for an hour. Because here's my thing. There are not a lot of science fiction musicals. There are very, very few. Most musical theater takes place in a more or less real world. And when they don't, it tends more often to go into fantasy and fairy tale. So, for instance, Wicked is very popular, obviously, Into the Woods. Um, I'm going to embarrass myself, but not being able to remember. Like, even um, Damn Yankees is like... Oh yeah, kind that of, a
1: definite supernatural element to it.
0: Yeah, whereas there's not really science fictional stuff. And one of the closest in recent times i think is probably young frankenstein the stage adaptation of the mel brooks movie which is not a very good musical frankly even that is like it's more pulp horror because it's not drawing on the book frankenstein it's drawing on countless movie interpretations especially the like classic black and white one this has been curious to me for a while of why we don't have more science fi- oh i was wrong the most recent like mainstream science fiction musical was the adaptation of be more chill yeah, yeah yeah where be more chill is about like going back to the well of brain implant stuff it's from japan it's a gray oblong pill quantum nanotechnology cpu some computer in the pill will travel through your blood until it implants in your brain and it tells you what to do. So, it's like drugs? <laughs> it's better than drugs, Jeremy. It's from Japan! <laughs> it's <laughs> a pill. Absolutely not. Get out of here. <laughs> And I also don't think Billy Moore chill is very good, but there is one song that I enjoy and it's Michael's in the bathroom and you can watch George Salazar perform it. They like have one of those weird music videos where they have footage from the show and then they sync that up with audio from the cast recording. And they also, it's one of those like in studio recording. So I'll put it in the show notes. It's a good performance side note. And another kind of science fiction musical, Little Shop of Horrors, they keep casting hot guys as Seymour, and that's a personal, it's a personal insult to me. I I,
1: I actually totally understand that. Yeah. He's he's not supposed to be hot. He's supposed
0: to be short and weird. And you're gonna put Jonathan Groff? Sorry. No, get out of here. No, not allowed. Anyway, I bring this up because there's a video of George Salazar and I think MJ Rodriguez performing. They're performing something from Little Shop and it's great. should be a short king he should be kind of a weird guy absolutely not jonathan groff are you <laughs> kidding me insulting so i was thinking about Urin town because Urin town is a better musical but i think comes back to comparably faulty world building because i've always loved Urin town Urin town is great because the premise of Urin town is it's I think Urinetown fundamentally works for the most part because its world is very small and contained. It's just this one weird town and we don't know what's going on outside of the town and we don't see anything outside of the town and Urinetown is not real. Spoiler alert, they just kill you. I think that functionally works better for musicals. And I, I, I wonder what the thing is about science fictional premises that don't really work for musicals very well. And I still don't have an answer to that. And I don't really even have any theorizing except that in this case, it also did not work, (laughs) uh, unfortunately, but I, but it also gets to, okay. So you said that you actually liked the cartoon kind of format for relaying information. And I was actually really annoyed with it because this is a musical. The thing about musicals is that you get to skip a lot of dialogue because you can cram a lot of stuff into a singular song. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So they chose to spend like five minutes going through these panels that are not well drawn. I think they just did the thing that WikiHow articles do, where you like trace over an image of somebody so it doesn't right. actually look very good. And surprise for anybody who didn't know the WikiHow articles do that. And so they just did that for like five minutes when like you could have had a song introducing the world explaining the setting, giving us these pieces of information.
1: Um, yeah, and I think that's also one of the reasons why pretty much everything it does drags on for
0: a little too long. They like had the grave robber appear multiple times, giving us the exact same information that we already got from the beginning. It's like, I know this already. Your world building is not so complex that I didn't pick up on this the first two times you told me. Let's move it along. The grave robber really it's stunning to me how unnecessary of a character he was. I mean, I guess that he tells us about Zydrate, but Zydrate doesn't actually matter. No, it doesn't. The, it's just another thing a lot that's happening of the story. It's just so that we can like see how terrible the world is. Cuz here's another thing that's interesting is that the ending is kind of a nothing ending. Just like several people die and then it's like bye. And nothing fundamentally changes about the world, except that now Shiloh knows that, spoiler alert, it was actually her dad who was giving her an illness. It was a real whimper of an ending. It was a, you know. And I was thinking, like, this is a terrible ending, but also I don't know what else they could have done because even apart from Gene Co. being the worst, the entire world is bad. <laughs> like, there's kind of nothing... There's, like, no hope of a brighter tomorrow. It's just kind of, it's terrible. Right. Which also gets back to my major, this is my big thing about town. So the premise of town is that it's sometime in an ambiguous future, maybe. We don't know. I think one of the strengths of town is that most of it is very vague about specific details. And the moment that I hate most in Urinetown is, like, the executives of, like, the water company are going on a trip to Rio or something. And it's like, you can't expand the world like that because this is a house of cards that will fall down at any second. Right. Right. So I don't like that, but ignoring that, I I think it works pretty well because it's kind of a fairy tale ish feel of like, we don't have, we don't know when this is happening. We don't know where this is happening. We don't really know why this is happening. It's just happening and you're going to accept it. And so the whole plot of you town is that it's the future And there's such an extreme water shortage that you have to pay to use the bathroom ever. Like every time you're going to use a toilet, you have to pay an entrance fee to be able to do it. And obviously there are people who are quite rich who just have like private bathrooms in their home and it's fine. And then there are people who are extremely poor who can only go and use the bathroom once a day with like the pennies that they've saved up. You know, and then there's like a freedom movement where Bobby... The main character is like, I'm not going to pay to pee. I'm going to pee anywhere I like. And then he leads a revolution. And then eventually he gets caught by the cops and he's like, Take me to Urine Town. And they're like, There is no Urine Town. We're going to push you off a building. And then they push him off a building and then he falls to the ground and he has one final song before he dies. No, he doesn't have the song. He dies and then little Penny, not Penny, little Sally, is she like sings the song, and then he's also singing the song, and it was originated by Hunter Foster, who is the brother of Sutton Foster, who is de facto the queen of musical comedy. Although I think she, she ran into some kind of controversy last year, I think, with an old, bad decision performance she did. Plus, she was set to star alongside Hugh Jackman in the revival of The Music Man, which was being produced by Scott Rudin, who is just like a real douche to everybody, like abusive workplace kind of stuff. It was a whole situation. I've actually trapped you in what I actually want to be doing, which is just a musical a podcast about musicals. Um haha, my plan. I'm actually this is actually a backdoor application for people who do the musical podcast that I like to invite me on as a guest for their shows. <laughs> so Jim and Tomic, I'm calling out to you. Musicals with cheese. I'm calling out to you. I'm a great guest. I have a microphone. I love musicals. <laughs> you know, as countless posters in public school told me, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Anyway, so the whole thing about you in Town is that it's leading up, and basically it's a very irreverent kind of musical. It's like we're kind of poking fun at all of these tropes. And then at the very end, they pull the rug out from under you, and it turns out the people won the day And then it was a disaster because they overused all the water and then they're in an even worse place than before. And there's some line like, as much of a douche as that guy was, he kept the water running or whatever. And it's like, oh, and then they all end on um, praise Malthus or something. Uh, Wikipedia says hail Malthus. That's even worse. Hail Malthus, right? And because of Malthus and his work on population limits and he was an indirect influence on darwin and wallace and coming up with the idea of evolution by means of natural selection isn't the evolution of ideas fascinating take a class in history of science and i this has driven me absolutely up the wall for over a decade now because i don't think that the people writing here in town actually are like hardcore libertarians who hate the people but the ending it feels like one of those endings where like people didn't really think about it and they just wanted to like do a twist. And then it turned out that the twist didn't actually work with the greater piece they were doing. And they were right. Like, it's oh. totally
1: inconsistent.
0: This is driven me absolutely off the wall, but you're in town forever. And I was thinking about this while watching repo exclamation mark, the Gendec opera, because I was like, is there an ending that won't feel just as dissatisfying as that ending? And Trying to pull ideas out of my brain tank, and I'm com- I'm coming up empty. Basically, I just wanted to talk about town. <laughs> I actually I love Urin Town. As I said, we love a woodwind moment, right? But it gets into this thing that I hate about a lot of genre fiction where and not to bring a certain person up, but this also always drove me up the wall about a very popular children's magic boarding school series where she would toss out these little details about the world that were like nice for a little joke but the moment you started thinking about it it was like this doesn't fit the structure of the world that you've built for
1: all the world building she did a lot of it doesn't actually cohesively make sense
0: it doesn't make any sense here's my big question is this story is about organs it's not about genes.
1: Yeah, why did they keep mentioning that? I mean, I guess part of it is, oh, you know, Shiloh's afraid she's going to be like her father, and also she blames her, as it turns out, non-existent blood disease on her mother, that it was inherited, but, like, that's about it.
0: There are a couple of, like, weak attempts at theme in bringing up, like, genetic destiny, but they're so isolated and toothless that it... It feels like nothing. Because they say repo the genetic opera. They're like, welcome to the genetic opera. None of this is about genetics. Yeah.
1: In fact, they actually talk about genetic opera being the big event. You know, that's the climax of the story. And they never explain what that is or how it's different from a normal opera. It certainly doesn't have any genetics
0: involved. And I like not to dig too deep into this, but Gene Co is a ridiculous name because they're not doing gene therapy or anything. That would have been a more interesting story of not organ repossession, but like resetting your DNA. Somebody do that story. Tessa, you're a writer. You write that story.
1: I will file that at the back of my head for <coughs> sure. any other story ideas.
0: Okay. So I think to to kind of end it, we could maybe go through and try to figure out if there are any compelling scientific ideas that they've taken inspiration from. And, um, no.
1: I mean, organ transplants, that's pretty well established at this point, but they aren't really doing anything particularly creative with them. I do like the idea of, like, custom design organs, you know, or synthetic organs, but they never really explain if that's what's actually going on or not.
0: I will say, I because an organ is a bunch of specialized tissue. Yeah. Right? Like, at the basic level, that's what an organ is. Do you know of, like, science fictional stories that explore, like, a post-organ reality? Oh, that's a good question. Could you replace organs with something?
1: I know in Lindsay Ellis's Axiom's End, there's an alien species that refers to themselves as being post-natural. Where they still have biological tissue, but most of their organs have been replaced by, essentially, machines.
0: But see, even in that scenario, it's, like, not an organic organ, but it's still organ-ish. Oh, yeah, yeah, no,
1: I don't... I can't think of any situations where, like, it's been all the like functions performed by an organ have been completely decentralized. You'd have absurd levels of like redundancy and it would also probably give you enormous biological resilience. Honestly, if you were trying to develop like super soldiers, I could see it being an extremely valuable if difficult to implement modification since, you know, oh no, you know, I had a bullet go through my torso, you know, well, if I had a lung that would be a problem, but since, you know, my oxygenation of my biology is completely decentralized throughout my entire body. It's not a problem.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess we do have examples of non organ organisms with like bacteria and other prokaryotic organisms. Here's another idea. What if we had a future where people got surplus organs? Like we just made up new organs to do cool random stuff.
1: Yeah, in Banks, the culture series, humans, or at least the human equivalent in that series, is basically they're all like post-human, and they've been modified to have additional organs, including a drug gland, so they can like basically give themselves recreational drugs whenever they want to. And also they can uh, change sex at will.
0: That's very Well, here's another a specifically trans resonance on that. Getting back to sort of the thing that we discussed before of like, if we got to a point where medical technology was advanced enough to basically be able to make a body oppositely cis, which is an imperfect phrasing, but there's no way to phrase that perfectly. That isn't like three paragraphs long. So a situation where we would get to a point where it's so well advanced that you could basically re-cis the body, but then that kind of leaves people who don't want that out in the cold, right? What if we had a situation where you could effectively be like, we're going to switch all the chromosomes and it's immediately going to just, you know, imagine the mechanisms that might happen, but Mm -hmm. some like switch flipped inside the body and then you could essentially resex it. Then what, kind of that's like both a utopia insofar as people who want that can get it and a dystopia insofar as there are many people who don't want that who maybe want these couple of things and then it's not other thing. yeah yeah exactly because i think one kind of advance in medical transition technology that i feel like we're all kind of waiting for is for it to be more of a kind of boutique experience um to put it in kind of a transphobes nightmare kind of a way right because a lot of non-binary people will hesitate about going on hormones or not, because it's not a pick and choose kind of right life situation. It's like you're gonna get a deeper voice, and also you're gonna have a lot of hair on your butt all of a sudden. And they just that's the yeah. never yeah. the twain shall you divide.
1: I, I I I think for a lot of people, yeah, that would be the dream of being able to like. Well, as you say, pick and choose, you know, what phenotypical modifications am I going to have? Because right now it's, you either get everything or you get nothing.
0: And I wonder, getting fully into real life speculation instead of just science fictional speculation, is there a way that is non-intrusive that you could specialize the effects in certain areas? Do you know what I mean? Because I mean, like, theoretically, let's say that you want a deeper voice and you want more arm hair but you don't want chest hair. Couldn't be me, but maybe, right? Hmm. Theoretically, you could like get plugs in your arm, right? Like if you can put hair plugs in your scalp, you could put them into your arm, I assume. But then the problem is who wants to do that? Not me, but is there a way? Because the explanation that's always given, right, is that you just, the hormones enter your blood and then they kind of go everywhere blood goes, i.e., Everywhere, but is there a way of is there literally a way of like directing their influence only to like theoretically? Could you make it only part of the body and not the other part of the body?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if we, I mean, I feel like that's something you could accomplish somehow with epigenetics, but
0: mm. yeah, do you think maybe there isn't more science fiction about very speculative gene therapy because science fiction authors are like, I don't. One,
1: uh, I think it's that. Also, there's just a lot of research
0: involved. Yeah,
1: like in order to do that properly, you'd have to do a lot of research.
0: And all these paywalls. Yeah, that too. I would never tell somebody to avoid paywalls by going to the very illegal Sci-Hub. I wouldn't do that. I would never recommend that. I want you to pay journals to access one article. Mm-hmm. Yep, for I, I bet. hours. I want you to give them $50 for two days of access to one article a million times. Well, that's the real nightmare for Halloween is the academic publishing industry. Very spooky. Very scary. And unfortunately, that's real life. Okay. Well, if after all of this, you want to find me on Twitter, I am at CockroachArles. And
1: I am on Twitter at SpacerMace, S-P-A-C-E-R-M-A-S-E, and at TessaFisher.com.
0: You can find the show on Twitter at pod or at our website where we post show notes and transcripts for every episode, ASABpodcast.com. And if you like the show, please tell other people you think might like it because it's apparently the number one way that podcasts grow. And
1: until next time, keep on sciencing.